Hello and welcome to the Reverend Hunter podcast. I'm Tony Jones, the Reverend Hunter, joined as always by the manservant Cato to my Inspector Clouseau, Brandon. Not familiar with this one, but it sounds uh, it sounds like maybe we've done it before, have we? I don't I mean, it's pretty obscure. Okay. I suppose it's possible we've done it before. I don't know. I should probably keep track of these <laughs> sidekicks. Uh uh Inspector Clouseau was uh played by Peter Sellers okay. in the Pink Panther movies. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All like right. back in the whatever, sixties and seventies. And Cato was his uh, his sidekick, but what Cato would do was, in order to you know, Inspector Clouseau was this like bumbling uh, guy who could like did everything wrong, but still comedically somehow catches the bad guy at the end of the film. See, that sounds he, more like me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's probably true. And that, but Cato, in order to keep Inspector Clouseau on his toes at all times, Cato would. Uh, attack him in his own home. So Inspector Clouseau would come home after a hard day of work, and then Cato would jump out, you know, from behind a door, and they would get into a big karate fight or something like that. <laughs> it was watch, pretty hilarious. I have to watch this. It sounds like comedy gold. I remember my dad just like laughing until he was crying. That was <laughs> that was my dad's type of humor for sure. You know, that gets me thinking, by the way, if any of the listeners want to start a wiki of uh, the different <laughs> intros that we had, feel free to go ahead and do it. Yeah, it would probably be best for somebody who's just starting to listen to the podcast and right. is going to go back and, uh, you know, start from scratch and <laughs> listen to them all. What have we got? Like, this is, I think, our 70th episode. So. I think it is. Um, yeah, I'm <laughs> running out of sidekicks. Hey, uh Pheasant, my my dear spouse Courtney, whom you know, um, she thinks the term pheasant fest is like one of the funniest things she's ever heard. Every time I said it over the last couple weeks, she would start laughing and be like, Pheasant Fest, I'm telling all my friends you're going to Pheasant Fest. <laughs> well, well, now when you put it sarcastically, I get the humor behind it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. So um how how did you like Pheasant Fest this year? Well, truth be told, I didn't actually take part in the actual Pheasant Fest. Uh, I did, however, uh, we did a live show with The Flush on Friday night, which was a blast. We did a live game show inside of uh, the local bar. Yeah, I, I stuck my head in there, and uh, it was about 90 degrees in that room. Yeah. And then I decided to just go out into the regular bar and have a beer because that's a smart move. It was full. Your room was packed with yeah. people. And then, um, although I wish I would have been in there because then Scott Franzen came out and he said that he just bought a round for everybody in that room. <laughs> he did. He bought everybody a beer and there's 80, 80, 90 people there. So good for him, man. I should have stayed in there just for the free beer. But, uh, yeah, did it go well? I I listened to that episode, listened to some of that episode, and Travis was a he, he'd make he'd probably make a pretty good game show host. It sounds like yeah, he's got he's got that natural skill of just honing in the the route the rowdy guests and uh, getting to the point. He did a great <laughs> yeah job. he did yeah yeah <laughs> that's that's just what you need. How did you enjoy your pheasant fest? Oh man, it was great. I was there uh, all day Friday and all day Saturday. Uh, I hang out. I, I hung out mainly in the 
area of three of my favorite organizations, Modern Carnivore, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and Sportsmen for the Boundary Waters. And um, also my buddy Rob, who publishes the Outdoor News, he had his booth right there too. So four of the five booths in the little stretch uh, where I hung out were all staffed by friends of mine. And we had a lot of great conversations. I got to uh, hear my buddy Kang Yang give his talk twice. Uh, on Saturday, a couple couple relative, younger guy relatives I've been mentoring and hunting, um, Phil and Cavante, came, and we spent a lot of time. Cavante uh, is looking to buy his first shotgun, and uh, Phil is looking to buy his first hunting dog. So it's a, just a great place to go and walk around um, and, and meet breeders and meet gun manufacturers and stuff like that. So that was Saturday afternoon. Then Saturday evening, I sat at the table with our sister podcast, The Flush, and I gave the invocational prayer at the Pheasants Forever Quail Forever National Banquet on Saturday night. So that was good. I had to put on a sport coat and act like an adult for a little bit. <laughs> I know. But uh, yeah, huge kudos to Bob St. Pierre and everybody at Pheasants Forever because they had like 33,000 people come through the doors um, over the three days. And man, that's, that's an amazing, it's just an amazing show for, you know, it's one of the biggest conventions for conservation and hunting. Um, and I'm really glad to be there. And I'm, I plan to go again next year in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, March 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. I will probably be there for another live flush podcast. I'm guessing, man. Sioux, yeah, Sioux Falls, and then you can swing by your old uh, stomping grounds on the way home. Exactly. Your old uh, hometown. I probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of small towns, uh, my guest on this episode of The Reverend Hunter is Adam Toby. He lives in central Washington uh, in a place that does not have cell coverage. In fact, I... I titled this episode, I always, the, the titles I use come from a quote from my guest. P listeners have probably picked that up over time here. But that that's how I titled the show. And I was going to title it a quote he gave, which is something like, I'm, uh, I'm happy to live in a place where there's no cell coverage or something like that. I ended up with the little more poignant quote, I'm interested in keeping kids alive, which uh, Adam says, uh, deeper into the episode but he does live in a place with no cell coverage in central washington surrounded by mountains he was actually uh in town he, he and his wife have to drive i don't know an hour hour and a half to get to town to get groceries do there he said they'd go to costco twice a month and he, they were there so all that to say his 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 audio is not that great he's sitting outside of a coffee shop uh talking into airpods but look that comes with the territory of me trying to interview people who live in wild places like he does um so you know forgive the not pristine audio and just know it's it's a small price to pay to be able to talk to somebody like adam who's doing such great work he works at tall timber camp uh which is a presbyterian camp um 
but he also he and his wife also founded Arcadia Guided Outdoor Education, uh, an organization they ran for many years in Utah and now have since brought with them to Central Washington, where they take you know kids into the outdoors. He's a very experienced mountain climber, uh, and we talk about well, and he he went to Princeton Seminary where I got my PhD and that's how I even heard about him because they wrote him up in one of their email newsletter thingies. Uh, and that's why I reached out to him, but he's doing great work. Uh, we talk a little, you know, theology. We talk about wilderness first responder training. We talk about what it's like to live in deep in the woods, um, and all sorts of other stuff. So, uh, I think you'll really like it and I appreciate you listening as always. We would love it. If you would subscribe, like, review, share the Reverend Hunter podcast, um, it was really gratifying, Brandon, to be at Pheasant Fest and have really a number of people come up to me and say that they enjoy listening to the podcast, which is great because you never know on podcasts. You just don't know if anybody's listening. I mean, you probably do because you see the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the but... numbers aren't real. It's podcast. <laughs> yeah, so it's nice to meet real people. I mean, I had one guy, ah, I recognize your voice. That's um, cool. I listen to you on my on my commute, you know, stuff like that. So that was gratifying. And and we we Brandon and I both really appreciate it. Uh, appreciate you listening. So thanks for your support. And here is my conversation with Adam Toby. Enjoy. Hey, Adam, welcome to the Reverend Hunter podcast. Really glad that you joined us. Yeah. Hey, thanks. I'm stoked to be here for sure. So I see you've got an open sign behind you. I mean, listeners, obviously <laughs> the podcast can't hear this, but you're uh, outdoors somewhere at a, at a strip mall or what? Yeah, yeah, I'm in uh, downtown uh, Wenatchee, Washington. The that's um, known as the Apple Capital of the World. <laughs> mm. um, I don't, I don't live in Wenatchee. I live in Leavenworth, but this we're coming into town to um, do our, you know, once or twice a month Costco run. Um, live up in the mountains in Leavenworth. At a, I'm the executive director of a camp up there, Presbyterian camp called Tall Timber Ranch. Um, so making our way in trying to knock out a bunch of stuff, including yeah. chatting with you. So that's nice. Well, as, um, we're, as, as you and I are recording this, uh, we are on the brink of what some people think might be the biggest snowstorm in the history of Minneapolis. Oh my gosh. Yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like it's possible we'll get over 28 inches, which, you know, in the mountains, that's you know what that probably happens once a year or something. Here, right, it, yeah, it hasn't it hasn't happened since 1991. I think that we've gotten a 28 inch snowfall. So uh, that is gnarly. I went to Costco today. <laughs> <laughs> in addition to every single other person uh, in totally. this metroplex, went to went to Costco, and yeah, we're <laughs> no, stocking up. Yeah. Had to change yeah. flight reservations and the whole deal. So, oh yeah. Now we were supposed to do this uh, a couple weeks ago, yeah. And yeah. you were like, uh, "Powder day, bro." Yeah, <laughs> day. yeah. It was, it was, and it was good. So I'm glad that we postponed. That was a that was a good day skiing. So <laughs> you've had some insane snow out there this year, haven't you? Yeah, it's been pretty wild. Um, well, I guess it's been pretty average. This is my first 
winter up here. And so um, last year they got like at camp at Tall Timber, they got eight feet in 36 hours. Um, and so that was kind of gnarly. I, I'm Whoa. kind of sad to have missed it, <laughs> but it's been pretty consistent. We've had a couple two foot storms, but um, we're like at 2000 feet. And then the Cascades obviously kind of range from, you know, all the way up to 14,000 feet. So um, kind of all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. I got a, um, a brother who lives in Bend, Oregon. So he's up on the, in the high desert on the, on the East side of the mountain range and gets very different weather patterns, uh, there. In fact, last year when I was out to visit him to ski, uh, and do some duck hunting, we went up to Mount Bachelor and it poured rain the entire day. I mean, if that would have been snow, it would have been absolutely epic, but, uh, no, it just poured rain. Oh yeah, it's it a miserable day. Yeah, that'll that'll give you a different experience for sure. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I I found out about you because we share an alma mater, and um, you were written up by Princeton Seminary um, about the the ministry you you've done with kids in the wilderness. So uh, I'd love to hear, like, first of all, what you know, what led you to end up at Princeton and then we'll continue that journey out of Princeton and into the mountains. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I, when I was looking for undergrads, I was looking for some D3 schools. I was hoping to play baseball, um, which I did find a D3 school to let me be on the team, but I didn't do much baseball playing, <laughs> mm. just kind of rode the bench for a few years. Um, and in the midst of that, was working on uh, my undergraduate degree, which I ended up doing in um, in religious studies. And you can't really do much with a religious studies BA. So I was like, well, I'll throw out some applications to seminary. I was working with youth through uh, a well-known organization, Young Life at the time, um, just kind of volunteering. Uh, applied to a bunch of seminaries. And Princeton said they were going to give me the most amount of money. And so that's where I decided to go. Um, and then uh, I was there for four years. I did the, they have a dual program. So you can tack on another, another degree, um, which I did. And uh, while I was there, I met this guy um, who, I think he's still an adjunct up there. Uh, living in the area. And he told me about this. He was like, Oh, you're involved with young life. You, have you heard of this place called beyond Malibu? Um, and, uh, and I was like, no, what's that? And he showed me some pictures and was like, you should go do this as an internship for, for your MDiv. And I was like, cool. Yeah. So I went up there. Um, and, uh, that was, I was in the mountains with students and I was like, this is it. This mm. is what I am supposed to do for the rest of my life somehow um just just you know for myriad reasons not with young life and not with uh and not um in a way that uh a lot of other people have been doing things either well um, and let's let's just say for listeners out there if you have an image in your mind of like a church camp for high school kids that you went to malibu is like nothing like that malibu is like the four seasons or you know of of church camps it's an unbelievable breathtaking property and then beyond malibu is like the kind of the outback right 
like right. next level of Malibu. But yeah, so you were, you were like, um, yeah, you, you had an experience of one of the most elite kind of quote unquote camping experiences that you could have. Yeah, to- totally. And that was totally unbeknownst to me. I mean, I grew up in a pretty large, you know, three, 4,000 person church with a really thriving youth group at the time. And we did retreats at campsites and still like at, at campgrounds and stuff, but, uh, it was nothing like that. It's just yeah. totally, you're exactly right. Totally different level. So, um, you know, it's Princeton is not a place that would strike me as uh, it, it's not a very outdoorsy place. It's a very old school, um, you know, uh, um, iron, iron shirt, type of tuck tuck it in place uh that was my experience of being there and i i felt like a bit of a a square peg in a round hole when i was at princeton i mean it was fine and i made friends there and learned a lot but i didn't feel culturally like it was a great fit for me and i definitely was no fan of new jersey you know yeah and uh, and, and that aspect of it totally yeah um I mean, you know, it was weird, like move in day first year, I'm like in a tank top and shorts carrying my surfboard up to my room because I heard that <laughs> Jersey gets good winter swells and it does. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I think that kind of, that kind of, uh, allowed me to meet some people who are like-minded and, um, I found, found that, like one of the first guys I met had just gotten off the AT and was starting mm. seminary he had just through hiked um and it finished up and you know we became fast friends and did a lot of venturing but mostly up in the northwestern part of the state and into the into the catskills in new york so yeah so you grew you'd grown up being outdoorsy doing outdoorsy type stuff yeah i grew up in like a pseudo uh boy scouts um that the assemblies of god church runs that's where that's the denomination i grew up in um, and, you know, I did the whole thing. I went in every single camp out, went to the big, big conferences, with the speakers speaking in tongues and stuff like that. Um, uh, or, or, you know, I, I imagine some of that was real, you know, but it was, it was, I have my hey man, own there's a, there's a, there's a revival <laughs> going on right now at, at uh, right. Asbury, baby. You, you That's can't, right. You, it's happening. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, it happens. Totally. Absolutely. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, and grew up just being outside all the time. I mean, just even just kicking around the neighborhood, my friends and I were always riding bikes around, exploring old trails by abandoned coal mines in in Virginia. So, um, yeah, just really, really have always wanted to be outside and really enjoyed that. Um, more so than sitting around and I mean, you know, I had my stint of wanting to play video games and that kind of a thing and but it was mostly like let's be outside let's go explore let's go hang mm-hmm. out but not really any any sort of mountain experience until really early you know mid-20s um and then i was like oh wow why and then that was the first time i'd come out west really mm-hmm. west of the mississippi and i was like why did no one tell me about the pacific northwest this is where i need to be so finally got here well so. man i'll tell you why because uh, i went to college and then uh, got my phd both it, on the east coast and there is um 
what would you call it? Like a geocentrism of East coasters totally. that they, they like don't even think what, I mean, West of the Mississippi, they don't think West of Ohio, a lot right. of them. Um, yeah, I had a, <laughs> I had this vivid memory of, uh, being at college and a kid saying, um, he's like, I said, you know, where are you, you know, freshman year, you're like, where are you from? Where are you from? I said, I'm from Minnesota. And he's like, Minnesota, Missouri, Montana, Michigan. Well, I, I get all the M ones mixed up. Yeah. Those are all very different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Super oh, different. So it was, was it after seminary that you, you and your spouse went to Utah? Yeah, so she grew up in Utah, and then we were trying to figure out what to do after graduation, and we were in Utah for a little while, and then she was like right on the cusp of being ordained in the Presbyterian Church USA, um, kind of deferred that for a little bit, and we went down to Chile to work with an organization um, that she had connections with. Uh, we were going to go, um, the idea was that we were going to go teach some classes to locals that they were raising up as as local leadership uh that didn't really pan out unfortunately so we came back but we did get to hang out we did get to go down to uh Torrell, i'm gonna i'm gonna butcher this name torres del paine uh which is a national park in patagonia so that was mm. sick <laughs> so we we kicked around and backpacked for five five days or so down there and um but then came back to utah and then we we're like well i guess we're staying here um and that's kind of when it was like, I couldn't get a couldn't get a, this idea of like young people being in the outdoors and seeing them have transformative experiences, even if even if they weren't having a connection with um, what we would say is like God, um, or what what a lot of traditional, particularly you know evangelical Christians, because that was the um, you know young life is an evangelical sort of. Um, ministry uh but but these kids having these experiences where they were they were connecting with the earth and they were connecting with themselves and they were connecting with their neighbors and you know whatever and it was clear that there was something happening um and that's what we wanted to continue to replicate and so we started this organization uh called arcadia guided outdoor education we wanted to the idea was to make an acronym out of the 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 greek word to lead um, or to guide, uh, which is Ago. Um, and, uh, so we ended up getting a really long name. <laughs> um, but, uh, so we were like, well, we partnered with a couple, with an organization that was running summer camps. We were like, well, you guys don't do hiking camps. And they were like, what's that? We're like, I don't know. Let's figure it out. So yeah. we picked a couple trails and we just started taking kids out on them. And it was really well received by the local community in, uh, in Ogden, Utah. Um, and then it just kept growing year by year, uh, add some backpacking trips, um, some climbing, uh, excursions. And, uh, yeah, that was this last year was our, was the last season that we had before we were looking, we had a daughter. And so we were looking to not raise a family in Utah. Um, and, uh, and had long both been drawn to the Pacific Northwest, particularly Washington state. Um, so we were looking for some different opportunities up here and, uh, tall timber came on the, came on our radar and went through that process. And now we're up here and going to be doing a lot of similar programming 
Um, okay. but with like, but with a site, which is within really, it's really an incredibly beautiful site in this middle of this valley where it's at 2000 feet elevation. And then you look across the meadow and there's a ridge line that's at like 7,000 feet. So it's mm. just like a massive gargantuan sort of little space in between. Uh, well, it's a big around us in this tiny little space in the valley. And it's just really an incredible space to, to be. Yeah, you think about that, a place like that, or I mean, Malibu or how you're describing tall timber, it sounds incredible. And you think of the the foresight of the of the Presbyterians who bought that property and founded that camp. What's what's the story there? Because I'm guessing that would be virtually impossible to do today. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was it was I think this the land was bought in. 1957 it was a dude ranch beforehand and uh the presbyterian church bought it i think it was a number of presbyterians that don't even exist anymore um they've kind of you know merged or whatever um you know for like 20 or 30 grand oh my God. <laughs> something ridiculous and it's like 250 acres um there's it we're we're right on kind of the the main part of the campground is right between two rivers, the Napequa and the white. And, uh, we're right kind of, you know, we, we can, we're in the glade, we're surrounded by the glacier peak wilderness. Uh, and, um, and so, you know, you just get this crystal clear water. It's kind of the terminus for a lot of the salmon runs. Hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just, it's kind of this pristine area in the middle of the wilderness. It's unreal. Wow. Wow. And so what kind of um what kind of kids are coming to that camp? I know you're pretty pretty new there, but what kind of kids and what kind of stuff has been going there and then what kind of stuff do you hope to get going there? Sure. Yeah, so uh over the last maybe 7 or 8 years, it's kind of been more of a traditional camp. Uh you know, kids come and they play games and I mean as young as 8 and up to high school students. Um, and, you know, it's a sleepaway camp. There's cabins uh, that are all sponsored by local churches, or many of them are. Um, and it's been largely sort of this traditional, you know, you come, you do the thing, you have a speaker, you sing some songs, you make you make s'mores, which is all well and good. Yeah. Um, but before, there had been a long, um, a long tradition. There had been um, this, these, the directors, the, the previous directors before the one who I took over after, um, Stan and Becky Fishburn, they basically did, they turned it into have basically be a site where yes, those camps could happen, but also they did these expeditions. So, um, they would go out and, you know, do peak climbs and they'd climb Glacier Peak or they'd even, you know, do trips to Mount Rainier, which you can't, couldn't really do right now. Um, as, as like, small little camp uh we couldn't go take you know we couldn't guide students up there um all the big guide companies have have monopoly on that um but uh but uh we you know we one of the first things i found out when i got here was we have this permit in these days allotted to us through the with the forest service and it's like oh well we got to use these and the last few years they haven't been just because they haven't had someone to really to really spearhead that um or really want to make that happen so you know this year we've got um we're going to take a number of students out uh 
kind of kind of in a tiered programming where you know the youngest students who come we want to introduce them to sort of like hey what's it like to sleep in a tent but you know we can do it right outside of your cabin so that if you want to like if it's not good and you're having a bad time well you got your bed you got you can get get on your bunk all the way up through having a multi-day backpacking trip um either in the the forest the Wenat- okanagan um wenatchee um forest here uh or in the alpine lakes wilderness area just south of us uh mm-hmm. we're still working on some permitting um but to be able to offer those opportunities um and really build the curriculum more around community building with students instead of like hey here we're gonna have a speaker come up and we're gonna um we're gonna you know he's gonna tell you you what you need to do in order to <laughs> i mean i know i'm being kind of cynical but tell you what you need to do in order to get right with god um, right and uh instead it's like hey let's share our lives with one another yes you know we're gonna use scripture various scriptures as jumping off points for discussions but like how how do you understand your relationship with god how do you understand your relationship with the land um and with the things the other the other non-human uh neighbors that we kind of live with um yeah. and how how, but not only like, how is that happening here, but how can we then transfer that and like make change in your, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your community? Um, so kind of look, it looks a lot like doing things outside and having good conver- like space for good conversations. Yeah. You know, it seems to me, I mean, what's so interesting about the, what you've said, how, how it's been run the last seven or eight years, you know, this is like, I've run camps like that. You've probably run camps like that. We grew up going to camps like that. It's almost like that program of camp where you bring in the outside speaker, you have the worship band, the kids play capture the flag after dark one night. And, you know, um, you could do that at any camp. It's it's almost like you're when when you have when you fall into those patterns, you you you're like ignoring the context of the actual place you are, you know. Totally. It seems, it seems crazy to me because um I mean that camp could be in Minnesota or it could be in Iowa or it could be in Virginia, and you're here you are like looking out at this valley in the middle of mountains and right. yeah. So good for you for like actually paying more attention to the context of that property in that land. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's kind of one of the things that we want to practice, but we also want to give all of the people and students who come through the camp, the opportunity to practice as well. Like, how are you, how do you engage with this idea of place and like, what does it mean to be a part of a bigger system of life? Um, and really being mindful and thoughtful about our, our actions, not just when we're, you know, um, hiking on a trail, making sure that we're, you know, talking about and practicing leave no trace principles with students, but like, Hey, how does, how does, you know, principle number three, like transfer into your life? Like how does making sure that you're not, you know, that you're picking up after yourself or that you're you're thinking about the person coming behind you and their experience in either a park or a trail or your house. Um, Mm -hmm. Like how can we be more mindful about the places that we sort of take up space in Um, Mm. and, and, and all of the neighbors that kind of reside there. Um, All right. I want to use that as uh, well, I want to delve a little deeper into some of your theology and, 
and how you think about these things on a theoretical level, but let's just make the bridge to the practice of, of devices. I just want to talk to you about devices because it's something I talk about, not so much on this podcast, but some other podcasts I go on where we talk more about parenting and fathering and stuff like that. Um, and I read something you wrote a few years ago uh, about that. Uh, and it, what I think you, I think you wrote that in 2017. Is that right? In the, in the journal yeah. of youth ministry. And I mean, in the last six years, it's only gotten like orders of magnitude worse. The, totally. use, of, the use of devices. So I just am wondering for you both as, you know, a camp director and as a new parent, how are you thinking about devices when kids, I know you can't control like when they're at home with their parents or when they're at their own church youth group or whatever, but when you have them for a week, how are you going to deal with that? What are you, what's your thinking around that? Sure. Um, Well, fortunately, at least at, at the moment, uh, we're so far out there that we don't have any cell service. Um, and, uh, also our, our internet is, is all private servers <laughs> or all private, uh, you know, what I don't even know the right language. Um, basically students couldn't get on the internet even if they wanted to. Um, and there's, you know, we, there's, fortunately there's a longstanding policy of, Hey, don't bring your phone to camp. And if you do like, that's fine, but we're going to like put it in a safe and we'll give it back to you at the end of the week. Wow. Um, which is great, which is one of the things that really drew me to this place. It's like, okay, you really care about facilitating spaces where actual human interaction is happening and while, while we're sharing the same physical space. Um, and so it's really nice that there's that, that long standing tradition at Tall Timber and kind of an understanding. Um, but you know that can that that can obviously be. Go ahead, yeah. Well, I'm just asking. Like, are you ready to fight with parents about that? Because, dude, oh I yeah, mean, it's like I will tell you just a little anecdote. I came out of retirement, <laughs> like I don't know, it's before COVID, so maybe it was three, four years ago to run the camp that I had used to run for many years, and I had found it as a youth pastor and whatever. And they were between youth pastors, and I had kids at the time who were the age to be camper, one camper and two counselors. So I had like two high school kids and a middle school kid, and um, I just was like, "We're no, no phones. We're just going to go for a week with no phones." Right. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I'm sitting there like drinking my coffee one morning, and a mom of one of the counselors, one of the high school age counselors drives into camp and gets out. And she's got like, she's carrying a knee brace and she walks in where I'm like doing my morning stuff, getting ready for the day, drinking my coffee. And she's like, Hey, I'm looking for my daughter. I brought her, I brought her knee brace. And I go, well, how, how'd you know, how'd you know to do that? And she's like, well, she texted, she texted me. Busted. And I was like, you know, because we had a, she, we had communicated this to the parents, and I said, uh, you know, they're the 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 counselors are not supposed to have cell phones. And she looked at me, and she's the same age as me. Okay, she's the same age as me. She has the same age kids as my kids. She looked at me and said, in the most patronizing way, like looking down her nose at me, "Oh, Tony." 
they all have their phones. Like, oh my God. She was on the church council of the church, bro. And she yeah. just completely blew me off. She just did oh, not man. care. So, my point being, like, I think I, I'm rooting for you to succeed in this, man. Sure, sure. And I'm in the same boat with like leading trips to the boundary waters. Now they put a cell phone tower at the end of the Gunflint Trail, unfortunately. So, because they have resorts down there and people, you know, so, okay. And there are places in the Boundary Waters where you can, like, catch a Canadian cell phone tower. But I've had people, adults, in their 60s, sneak onto my trips with, like, um, sat phones or, like, sat repeaters. And I can, <laughs> I can like, last summer, I could hear it beeping in the guys, like, we're having our devotions around the campfire. And I can hear it beeping in his tent. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all that to say, you got this more power to you. I am I, <laughs> you're a lone voice in the wilderness for this, and I love it. You you know what though? To be to be frank, it's the adults and in, in my experience, it's the adults that are worse than the kids. Yeah, like the kids get it. They're like, you know what? Yeah, that's great. You know, I I wanna I wanna go, I wanna do the thing, I wanna engage, engage with my peers. And it's not every kid, but you know, the majority of kids. But we even had a, like a, we have these family camps and they're great. So cool. We have, you know, from 80 to eight or, you know, 18 months probably really. Um, and, uh, and, and the adults were the ones, the, the, the seniors were coming in and saying, Hey, I need to be able to like check Instagram or Facebook. And it's like, why? Like we're in this great place. There's snow surrounding us. You're sitting in front of a wood-fired stove with like some of the people you love most and you want to start thumbing through your phone. Like what's going on yeah. here? Um, so, I mean, what, unfortunately, you know, it's, it, it's built in. So at least, at least until the same situation happens where they expand cell service or, you know, this uh, Elon Musk internet all over the place all the time right. project happens. Um, it's it's going to happen, and it's just a matter of how are we going to respond. But it is it is something that I'm trying to think about right now, um, kind of a, ahead of the game. You know, yeah. it's just like yeah. what are we going to do? Um, and I think that the idea or what you need to do is just actually offer something that's more compelling than checking social media. Um, yeah. And I don't and and really to sell it as such as like actually human interaction is the most compelling thing that we basically do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like let's let's I just do it. that. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I want to ask you a related question to that because one of the things you're, you know, you'll hear about having access to devices and stuff like that is for safety reasons or whatever. And, and, and sadly this camp that I had founded with some other guys, and then I had run for many years and then I came out of retirement to run again, they, they shut this camp down because the church council said we just can't handle the liability anymore like what if we're using these high school counselors with these middle school kids what if there's a sexual assault or what if there you know somebody gets seriously hurt or whatever we so they just shut it down and my argument to them to keep it open was that ministry involves risk i mean life involves risk personally I, I although we've mitigated most of the risk out of our lives most of the physical risk and now here's what's crazy to go on a little tangent but now we are hearing all these studies post covid of the of the great um 
the the incredible stress of depression and anxiety that high school kids are under, particularly high school girls. Um, and so there's all still all sorts of risks, but we've we've mitigated most of the physical risk out of out of our lives. And I wonder as somebody who's inviting adolescence into a risky environment and you're I, I love on your website for Arcadia, it's like um I think in your facts, it there's a question of like, is it dangerous? And I think the line is like it, you first sentence is our trips are not without risk. So I'd love for you to hear you talk a little bit about that. Like, how do you mitigate risk, but also how do you say this isn't a risk-free endeavor? Yeah, I think I think um, well to kind of answer that question from like a my like a philosophical standpoint um, in like wilderness medicine training and in uh, even I mean I'm at the, I'm a very low level uh, of the like American Mountain Guide Association track I'm not on a track I kind of hit my terminus with wanting to just teach climbing in a one rope length type of environment um, but even in those courses uh, at least with the mentor that I had. Um, who taught it, uh, you talk about how it's risk is everywhere. Like you're saying, like you can't be a human and not experience risk. Um, and yeah, risk is mitigated all the time, but it's all about mitigating that risk through a series of systems. And, you know, and you could go into all of that, all of that detail, but to the first step is really recognizing it. And I think naming it and saying, yeah, what do you mean safe? There's that's, that's such a, word that doesn't mean anything like then nothing is safe i don't even like to use the word safe space i know that that's kind of a even when it comes to marginalized communities particularly um particularly queer kids um kids in the queer community like i i do not want to ever guarantee that there's a safe space i don't know if what everyone's thinking or what someone's going to say um but what we can do is try to mitigate that risk from the outset uh with good expectations and 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 good training so um we're talking about physical risk uh it's you know our staff for example we believe like really pouring into our staff not just because we want them to benefit whatever organization we're working for but because we want to help them grow as human beings um and we want to support them in the whole of their lives and so our staff that are going to be coming with us this summer at tall timber they're all going to get wilderness first aid training they're going to be leave no trace trainers and they're also going to go through youth mental health first aid um and so that's like a week long worth of courses that we're providing to them um, to make sure that they are at least equipped with the resources um, to to serve students in a variety of contexts, but also to understand the limits of their abilities and their knowledge so that they can say, oh, this is above my pay grade and my training. I need to bump this up the line or I need to, you know, I've got a list of resources that I can refer this person to or um, I need to, you know, hit the the SOS button on the Garmin to call in search and rescue, you know? Um, so I think it's really important to talk about that. At the same time, there's a lot of learning that happens between this, this space of where there's, there's low actual risk, but a high perceived risk. Um, and when there can be some sort of successful uh, moving through those processes or through those situations, there's really deep learning that can occur. And those are the types of those are the types of uh, spaces that I'm most interested in curating. Um, so you know, going climbing uh, on a 
60 foot cliff with bolted anchors is really, really low risk. Um, mm. It's really, you know, it's not, it's, there's risk that, you know, something could happen, rock fall, whatever, but getting 20 feet off the ground for the first time and having to trust your belayer um, is a big deal. And it feels very high risk, but the actual risk is really very low. And, you know, even if you get 20 feet off the ground, and you lower to the ground, you're like, oh my gosh, I just did that. Um, and there's something and, and being able to not just have those experiences, but then to take those experiences and say like, you know, why does, wh what was going on there? And like, what does that mean for you going like in terms of taking risks at home? And I know that that's kind of like low level, uh, kind of, um, stuff when it comes to it's, it's, it's low hanging fruit, I guess, when it comes to outdoor education, but it's stuff that is tried and true. Um, yeah, really works. Yeah, man, I, I have, I have so many examples of that from my own time in youth ministry. And I just remember one, like, um, I took a group of guys who had just graduated from high school to Colorado. And we, I don't know, we like mountain bike for a day around reservoirs. We belayed down a 40 foot, uh, rock face, you know, we, we climbed three 14ers in a day, but it was the day where we rafted the Royal Gorge and we had to pull out before, and we had lunch right before we hit the gorge. And, uh, you know, our guide, a hired guide from, you know, from, from the river, he's like, well, it was closed last week. And then, but the week before that, a 12 year old girl died, drowned, like in a foot entrapment. And, mm. but the risk is very low because this guide has run the gorge more times than he can count. But as he's passing out the helmets, cause we didn't wear helmets in the morning, you know, then he's passing out the helmets. Um, all these high school dudes, he's like tough high school dudes headed off to college. They're all crying. <laughs> and that night we had these, inc this incredible conversation about fathers, our fathers, fatherhood, and uh, it was you're exactly what you're talking about. In reality, pretty low risk, not no risk. I mean, higher risk than staying at home and playing video games, but relatively low risk. But it it put us in a different environment that just it just causes you to think about things, see things at, from a different angle than what you're used to on a daily basis. And there's just like anybody who's done youth ministry knows. Whether you take a kid kids on a mission trip or take them on a high adventure, take them on a ropes course or whatever, those are the things, you know, those are the things. Yeah, I have a I have a colleague who um who's still serving youth in Utah. Uh, and he he said, uh, and this has stuck with me, you know, one week of a retreat is like a year's worth of ministry um when it comes to youth group. And I was like, Yeah, that's like one of the most true things I've heard. <laughs> because it is so and you're you're with your you're doing all of the things you're eating with students. You're, you know, sharing space where you're unconscious for a time, you know, it's like you're, you're, you're going out and swimming in a lake or hiking on a trail. And it's just, you're, you're always with, with them. And in that an incredible amount of trust can build if you're, if you're, you know, yeah. positioning yourself to be that person that they can trust. Yeah. I'd love to hear if you're willing to talk a little bit about your own journey in this. And I mean, coming up from some people won't maybe know you, you and I are insiders. So, you know, the, the shift from for, for a kid who grew up assemblies of God to end up at Princeton seminary is quite a jump, 
right? And then now you're um, working at at this Presbyterian camp and doing this outdoor um, education stuff with kids. So how has, um, what has the outdoors and the wilderness done for you personally? And in addition to your leadership with these kids you're working with, but for your own personal, like faith, spiritual, theological journey? Yeah, I think, um, I think at first it was, it was, I was really prone to just over spiritualizing everything. Um, I was still kind of in that, um, you know, the, the Assemblies of God church I grew up in was very, was not dissimilar to like a Hillsong type of church. Um, so, you know, very like charismatic speakers and big bands and really, really based, you know, based on that emotive response to whatever was going on. And, and I think that I was looking for that and I was getting it to some extent in the, in the wilderness, um, in wild spaces, uh, but kind of as my theology was starting to shift and I, you know, I was introduced to some thinkers uh, who really have continued to influence me like Karl Barth, which, you know, some people are like, what do you mean? He's like, so against natural theology. And I'm like, well, hear me out. Um, but anyway, uh, but uh, <laughs> I mean, that dude wrote so much that you could oh, probably yeah. find something somewhere, you know, some, yeah, that resonates Absolutely. with what you're doing. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, but uh kind of was just like, oh, understanding, kind of just paying attention to my own emotional and mental health state. So like at the end of Princeton, kind of my time at Princeton, I was through a series of of events that were happening in my life. I really was experiencing a deep depression and a lot of anxiety um, and found that just being outside was really healing for that. Um, And I've continued to find that to be the case. Like, you know, if I've had a long work week and can't figure out, you know, how to deal with a particular board member or, uh, or someone who's reached out because they're upset about a direction the camp is going, even just spending a morning going skiing or, you know, taking my kid out in a backpack on a trail like that totally can reset me and allows me to then like, I feel like it empowers me really to go and go back and do the thing that I'm called to do. Um, And at the same time, you know, those, those sort of profound spiritual experiences still happen. Um, I, I love the sort of, uh, you know, I love, I love spending time in the mountains and doing these sort of, uh, higher risk activities or higher risk than if you're staying at home, I guess. (laughs) But, uh, but something about that really, um, really makes me feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing as a human. And that's not for everyone. Right. Um, but for me, I really feel like for my humanness, it really kind of gets at the core of what that is. And, Hmm. um, and that, and that seems to be even, even greater when I'm doing that with people. Um, I don't, I don't like to do activities alone necessarily. Um, which is great because like backcountry skiing and rock climbing, um, are not really wise to do alone. (laughs) So, um, I've, I've kind of chosen these different activities that force me to be with other people and kind of get a spiritual and like uh, mental health reset almost. Um, but doing it. And part of that is doing it with other people, I think for me. Yeah, that's, that's intriguing. I, I've, I found the same thing. And yet I've also had people on the podcast. Um, there's a, there's a very well-known YouTuber and who who does solo hikes up here named Suge Emery. And um, he almost never goes out with other people. He just wants to be alone. 
but I'm, yeah, for me, it, it, I, I, another thing that intrigued me about your uh, article is the connection that people have to have face to face. I mean, it's frankly what I, I mean, this is my own little op-ed that I'm not going to ask you to even, you don't have to agree with it or whatever. <laughs> Cause I know it's like politically fraught territory, but the whole masking deal, it was like, I really, I was like, I could hear Emmanuel Levinas in my head saying like, you have to look other people in the face. That's how you, that's the I thou relationship, right? So you got to see people's face. And I would bring this up to people and they'd be like, no, what you're totally overplaying that. It's like if someone's, if someone's got a mask over their mouth and nose, it makes no difference. And I'm like, I, I think there, I think anyway, I do think like theologians and philosophers down the road will be thinking about this and writing about this, mm, but, um, sure. but, it, but let's just forget about the masking and just think about the phones again. And, and the the how that mediates how so many times kids see their friends it's always being mediated through that device you know or i've had i've had friends tell me about their adolescent boys well my son doesn't really do much but i mean he is talking to his friends on his headset while they're gaming together i'm like that's not the same right. oh, that's not the same right. these are the these are the arguments i have with some of my peers who are have kids my age um yeah so uh i wonder has what you're talking about here of being in the outdoors and i love this idea of using it to kind of reset i think you use the you know you use the word reset and to fight some depressive tendencies or whatever but have you have you also found that it do you still feel uniquely or exclusively christian i guess and i don't this isn't a leading question but has it drawn you um into new avenues of spirituality or has it has it reaffirmed your orthodox christian commitments or how, how is that what's been the interplay between that and, and the outdoors? Um, I missed some of the question, but I think oh. I, I think I got the core of what you're asking. Um, uh, so I think, I think what, I think it's definitely pushed me deeper into my own, my own spiritual journey, which is as a, as a, as a Christian. Um, but I think it's also helped me appreciate a wider, uh, sort of a, a wider, understanding of um just connection and spirituality uh especially like you know I, I was just asked this one time to just teach an environmental science course to like a some christian homeschool co-op <laughs> um and 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 i was like yeah sure i'll do the thing whatever um and and i just remember even teaching that course it was like all of the ideas of just ecosystems and all of these systems that are so connected um was so helpful in me understanding kind of the, just the human connection to the earth and, um, and sort of our role within it. And, and it makes me think, it, I think, so what I'm trying to get at, I guess, is like, I think for me personally, it's deepened my, my own understanding of, of, um, of God, um, in, in terms of the, the Christian sense of the word, but it's opened up my understanding of, I've seen other people's experiences with the divine, mm. um, in, in the outdoors uh, who aren't explicitly Christian. And that is just as valid of an experience that I have when I go out and, and I'm experiencing what I call God. Um, 
And so I think um, it's it's made me more uh, more of a generous and hospitable person when it comes to people who mm. share different values or know, uh, you know, specific type of spirituality, um, but just feel some sort of connection to something greater. Um, and really, you know, that's that's when it comes to stuff we were doing with Arcadia. And I mean, honestly, and I might get in trouble for this, but <laughs> honestly, when it comes to to the to the core experience that people are having, I'm less interested in them saying some like words about um, you know saying the sinner's prayer or something than I am with them coming to a greater understanding of their place in the wider world. Um, mm-hmm. And and I and I would consider that spirituality. Um, I mean, and that it's it's been proven that or a lot of studies lately have talked about how spirituality is an incredible. Um, protective factor against some myriad, you know, myriad, uh, mental health issues and, and problems and, and, um, illnesses. And so, um, I, I'm, I'm more interested in keeping kids alive than I am mm-hmm. about, um, like, I don't, I don't believe theologically that I'm doing any soul saving anyways. Um, and mm-hmm. so I, I really want to just offer spaces when I'm with students for them to, you know, I want to be a pastor of like where they're at. I don't want to try to try to be dragging them in a certain direction. I want us to curate spaces where we're able to talk about exactly where we are and then like be those good neighbors who are not, who don't have ulterior motives. Like don't, you don't have to think everything I think, but instead to be like, cool, like there's something great about, um, there's something great about us thinking different things and we don't all have to be the same. And in fact, that makes the world a better place. Hmm. Love it, man. That's I you you and I are singing on the off the same song sheet on that. Um well if I can take it from the sublime to the ridiculous to uh to to end our time here, I have two more practical questions for you. One is I'm believe it or not, in a couple months at age 55, I'm going through woofer for the first time. Nice. Cause I've been guiding uh I've been kind of under the radar guiding in a certain in a certain wilderness area um administered by the u.s forest service (laughs) and i was like i can't keep doing this so i'm going through wilderness first responder and i've been told i've got a friend who's an emt and she told me she learned more in wilderness first responder than she did in her emt training yeah that uh that checks out with a couple people that i've talked to about emt training um and it is definitely an intense course it uh it has been one of the most useful things not hmm. just in terms of the like the medicine itself but the the systems that you like just some of the things that are like i mean even in in, in what i call front country life you know like um like there's this there's this saying that i think every single woofer instructor i've had has said it they said when you come upon a scene and someone's injured in the wilderness in a wilderness setting like just stop pull out a cigarette light it up smoke it and then and then like make a plan and then go in so it's kind of this idea it 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 has taught me this um at least to to try to practice this idea of like oh this is an intense situation let's just like take a breath let's like analyze what the best course of action would be instead of just rushing headlong into something because you know if you rush headlong into something you could become another patient um in a in a medicine in a medicine setting um so uh you know, and I'm glad that, 
you know, they're the woofer research every three years. And I'm glad because some of those more fine practical skills when it comes to like, oh yeah, that is the best, or there is a better practice for whatever medical practice in the, in the back country. Um, but reminding, reminding me of those skills of, of being mindful and not rushing headlong into something. Um, I, I, I found that to be more, more helpful in the long run <laughs> yeah. in kind of everyday life than, than how to set a long, a long bone that's broken. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. That's great. Oh man. I, I love it. I love it. And I'm sure, I mean, yeah, when you're in the wilderness, like what's an extra 30 seconds, right. You know, like that, that 30 seconds is better spent getting your bearings and having a plan. I love it. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll get back to you if, if my uh, yeah. instructor says light a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or the, the other one they'll say, is, they might say is, uh, don't just do something, stand there. Um, oh. which is, a, which is another great one that I've kind of kept in my head. <laughs> that is really good. Yeah. Okay. And then, then to the truly ridiculous uh, as a yeah. former baseball player, oh, uh, yeah. I'm, I, I'm a, I'm an active umpire. I umpire, uh, summer nice. town team baseball all around Minnesota. And it's, it's mainly, it's a wood bat league for college cool. and former college players. Um, do you have opinions about the MLB rule changes? I, do you still follow baseball? And do you have opinions about banning the shift, the larger oh, bases man. and the pitch clock? You know, these are things that I have totally missed out on. Oh, um, dude. I was, I was a huge Red Sox fan all growing up. Um, my dad's from the Boston area. And so we would have been sleeping outside if we weren't rooting for the Sox. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, move, when, you know, I got out of school and then I went to Utah and there's not a baseball team there. And then I just like right. started playing outside more. Um, and it's not that I like, don't like baseball anymore. I love the sport. I love the game. Um, but, uh, you know, no I, strong I opinions. Know. I don't. I don't. I'm sorry. I'm trying to like muster something strong. No, no, it's you know? cool. You don't have to have strong opinions. What, uh, what position did you play? Uh, I ended my 10 years of baseball player, uh, largely playing center field. Okay. So yeah. you got wheels. I like, you, you I like to wheels. run. Yeah. I was quick and I like to throw the ball really far. Oh, that nice. Was, that was my thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Good deal. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. I think what you're doing is fantastic. Um, you know, listeners can find links to your stuff um, in the show notes, obviously. Um, are you on social media? Can they follow you? Do you are you a poster or do you stay away from yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I somewhat. I can give you that info. I don't even okay. know what it is off the top of my head. So, <laughs> All right. Well, I can find it. I can find it. But I appreciate it, man. And I um, I hope our paths will cross in person. It sounds like the place you live sounds absolutely breathtaking. And I'd love to see it someday. Yeah, dude. If you're ever up in the area, if you're in Leavenworth, this really weird faux Bavarian town, <laughs> holler at us. Okay. All right. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. <laughs>